Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our stuff, but they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca, as well as your preferred podcast player of choice. It is your man, DM Cool, and welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, and on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to, in fact, call a friend because we are live on the airwaves right now. And you guys will be hearing this later on the podcast for all the podcast listeners. Uh, But nonetheless, welcome to the show. Welcome to your show. I'm feeling real good today because today's episode, today's entire episode will be dedicated to the Raptors, okay? Like, I don't think I've ever done a, a full episode of Raptors recap before, but... I'm about to do it today, so we're going to split it off into different sections. For the Let That Ish Breeze segment, I'm going to talk about a general breakdown of Game 1. In the next segment, I'm going to do a deep dive on the atmosphere in Toronto and and Canada as well, like what this means for the whole nation as far as the Raptors being in the finals and actually having a legitimate shot at winning. And I'll expand beyond that as well. And then for our Trip Talk segment, it's going to be surrounded primarily around Drake as well. So I'm sure you guys have a good idea for that. And Wanks of the Week, I'll, I'll keep you in tune with uh, Wall Happy once we get to that segment. But before we get to all that, let's just get, let's, let's just get right to it. It's time to let that itch breathe, damn it. Let this bitch breathe. <clears throat> so as I stated, the Raptors took place in their first ever championship round in the NBA playoffs, which we all affectionately know as the NBA Finals. The first time in franchise history that they've reached that point, as well as the first time in NBA history that the NBA Finals opens on international soil, that being Canada, of course. And a lot of people were placing their bets on Golden State, you know, stateside and what have you. But then again, there were a lot of people who were placing their bets on uh, on Toronto as well. In fact, and this has nothing to do with the statistical breakdown of the game, but just a funny little fun fact that uh, a poll was done. Uh, I can't remember what the source of it was, but they said that, besides Canada, of course, the majority of the United States was polling for the Toronto Raptors to win. Now, a few of those states could be comprised of people who are actual fans of the, the Raptors, or they just hate the Golden State Warriors so much that they want anyone to beat them. And in that case, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And either way, I'm good with that. Uh, the only states that were left out of there were California, of course, uh, Nevada, and Hawaii. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But either way, I'm all here for it. But nonetheless, I digress. Let's get to uh, the game itself. So game one opened up, and the Raptors <clears throat> did a pretty good job of controlling the pace. And I think it has to do with the fact that they've been playing up the up and down, the pace and space style all year as well as the fact that Golden State was off for about nine days, so they barely had any rhythm to speak of. Meanwhile, the Raptors are off for about five days, but nonetheless, the gap was a bit closer, and they're playing in front of their home crowd, and the home crowd energized them as well, which I'll get to in, in a later segment. So one of, the, one of the things that popped up in my head was the fact that Danny Green made his second attempt from three-point range early in the first quarter. And you had a lot of people say, oh, Danny lost his shot. Where's he at? Where's he at? And people have to understand that people like or players like Danny Green, they are shooters. Like they will find their stroke eventually. And Danny Green did just that, ended up with 11 points. So it's good that he was able to contribute from that end as well. Because of that, we didn't really see a whole lot of play time from Norman Powell as well. I'm not sure exactly how many minutes he played, but it wasn't a whole lot because Danny was finding his rhythm as well as contributing to the defensive end. And then we also saw Patrick McCaw take the floor as well. Now, a lot of people don't realize the fact that Patrick McCaw has not only made it to the NBA Finals three years in a row, but his former team is, in fact, the Golden State Warriors. So I'm sure he was inserted into the game for this particular series for a very good reason as well as adding length to to the uh, to the perimeter. Beyond that, you had a somewhat of a solid game from Kawhi Leonard, not 
what you would normally expect from him, especially with how he's been performing the playoffs uh, this entire uh, entire playoff season. He had about 23 points in the game. It was a very quiet 23. I think the majority of them came in the fourth quarter. But nonetheless, a very quiet 23. But what I've noticed about the Raptors throughout the postseason is the fact that other guys step up when he's not necessarily feeling it. And that's where Marcus Gasol comes into play and Pascal Siakam comes into play. Now, with uh, Marcus Gasol, he scored 20 points. I think he had about seven rebounds as well. And he could have scored more had he not, had he not fouled out. But... That's neither here nor there. But I think that's probably his biggest scoring output thus far in the postseason this year. So good on uh, Marcus Gasol. There were times where he was hesitant to shoot the long-range jumper. I remember, in fact, there was a play where he got the ball and, and he was by himself on the perimeter. And he was even kind of hesitating. Like, I don't know if some if some people know this, but his foot was kind of jittering. Like, should I drive? Should I pass it? Like, he was kind of flirting with the idea of shooting it. And then he eventually just shot the ball. So I feel like when Mark is in the is in that position, he should just shoot it because they left him wide open. They weren't even trying to run out on him. So nonetheless, he still got twenty points, so he was a heavy contributor to the game. And then of course Pascal Siakam with three the uh he was a lead scorer of the game, uh thirty two points, eight rebounds, five assists, I believe, and two blocks as well. He had he had an excellent all around game. And this is a game that we've been waiting to see from him probably since the first round, because he hasn't really had a, a game in between then where he exploded. He has some points here and there, like 19, 20, whatever the case may be, but we haven't seen him drop a 30-piece in quite some time. So it's good that he got that. And it's even more ironic the fact that he dropped a 30-piece on Draymond Green, who the day before told the world that he was the, the greatest defensive player of all time. Now, of course, players will say stuff like that to – hype themselves up and to and to get them more confident, more motivated. And I'm not mad at that. I'm really not mad at that. If he feels he's the greatest defender of all time, so be it. I wouldn't put him in there just yet just because his career isn't really done yet and we haven't really seen him – I don't want to say we haven't seen him defend at a high level because that would be disrespectful. But, like, I can't say that we've seen a definitive moment from him, and maybe Warriors fans could disagree with me on this, but we haven't really seen a definitive moment from him where – his statistical numbers on defense really jumped out of the page. So I wouldn't give him that title yet. Personally speaking, if you're asking me, I think Hakeem Olajuwon is the greatest defender of all time. Um, Draymond can easily say that he's probably the most versatile defender of all time because he's able to defend five positions, and we haven't really seen a player consistently do that like Draymond. So if he wants to call himself the most versatile um, defender of all time, I'll give him that, no problem. But the greatest defender... Not so sure. But nonetheless, he had a 30-piece dropped on him the day um, the day after he told the world that he was the greatest defensive player of all time. So that kind of backfired on him just, just a little bit. But Pascal was in his bag. He was in his bag to the point where he was mixing the inside game with the outside game. He was driving to the hoop, doing the spin moves. Uh, he was pulling up off the dribble, which we haven't really seen from him, which is actually very unique. And I, and I said a long time ago that we need we don't necessarily need to see that from him per se, but if he adds that to his game, it'll make him that much more lethal. Um, and then, yeah, he's just so impactful on both ends of the floor as well. Uh, he had the block on... He had a block on Draymond as well, which is just like a slap off the backboard as well. One of the more emphatic moments of the game. But, yeah, he was by far the best player on the, on the, on the floor, 14-17 from the field. Like, what was that, like, 80, at like 83% from the field? That is – that's bonkers, like, especially for your first game in the finals to set the tone as well. And what I noticed about the Raptors as a whole on the defensive end is that their defense was stifling. It was extremely stifling. And – for the people who thought <clears throat> that Golden State was just going to run away, <coughs> pardon me, was just going to run away the game or the series, whatever the case may be, they have to understand that even though, despite without being with KD, the Warriors aren't going to have as many luxuries against the Raptors as they did with Houston Rockets down the end of that series or with the Portland Trailblazers because Houston Rockets. They are a shell of, the, of, the, of their former selves when it comes to the defensive end. And then with the Portland Trailblazers, their defense is damn near non-existent. With the Raptors, they will swarm you. They will switch up on bodies. And if you think about it, the Raptors were designed to match up with the Warriors. This is how Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster envisioned 
the Toronto Raptors the moment they got Kawhi Leonard. They wanted to build a team, and even before Kawhi Leonard, I think that he was building the pieces from time because Golden State was that was the championship team from 2015 up until now. But especially with this particular season, he is they those two together designed a team that can be built to match up with the Warriors because the majority of this Raptors team is filled with two-way players who have the ability to hit the three-pointer as well. And then on top of that, you have certain players that you can mix with the with the inside game and the outside game, like a Serge Ibaka, like a Marcus Gasol, like a Pascal Siakam. And it makes it that much more difficult for the Warriors to, to get on the rhythm. And I noticed this yesterday especially because of the fact that you had Curry, you had Thompson and Green, who were your primary uh, scores for the game, and then where, whereas everyone else, you didn't really get a whole lot of support. So that just lets you know that their defense, in Toronto's case, was very smothering, and Golden State didn't really know how to manage that because it was almost as though they're playing a mirror image of themselves in past years because that's how Golden State had been built for these last several years now. So it's, a, it's very interesting to see. And even though Golden State's motto is strength in numbers, they don't really have the numbers like they used to. Their bench isn't as strong as it was in 2015 or 2016. A lot of those players have either left the team or they're trying to go get older, like Iguodala, like Sean Livingston, guys who are currently fighting through injuries right now. KD isn't, right, isn't there right now, and we don't know what point of the series he's going to come in. There, there was a report saying today that he would come in for game four, but this person hasn't even touched the floor for practice yet. We're talking about practice. So I don't know how much validity I can give to that statement, but it'll be interesting to see. But I believe that if KD is not able to join this series at all, then I don't see the Warriors winning. I'm not even saying that as a Raptors fan. I'm saying this as somebody who's watching the game, watch what they saw yesterday, watch what the Raptors have been doing throughout the entirety of the postseason. It was, it's going to be extremely difficult for Golden State to win without Kevin Durant. And I think what the Raptors need to do is they need to, and I'm not saying that this is going to be an easy task, but if they can, end the series as quickly as possible. Because the more time you give to the series, the more time and opportunity you give for Kevin Durant to come back into the series. Uh, more time for DeMarcus Cousins to, to get his wind again. So I think the Raptors, they, I think it's imperative that they need to end the series as soon as they can. And it'll be that much more imperative if they're able to get the second win at home as well to make it a 2-0 series lead and then go with that momentum to Oracle Arena for games three and four. So it's going to be interesting to see down the road. But overall, I, like what I, I liked what I saw yesterday. Uh, a total effort from the Raptors and the, and, their, and the supporting cast to help out Kawhi Leonard, who's still kind of battling through the, the nooks and crannies of his ailment, so to speak. And one more thing before I switch gears, Pascal G, uh, Siakam scoring 30-plus in, in the game yesterday. He joins a list that comprise, that is comprised of Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Kevin Durant to open up an NBA final series scoring 30 points or more. That's why they call him Spicy P, baby. I, I got nothing more to say beyond that. <laughs> but what did you guys think of game one yesterday? Oh, and one more thing to, to add to that as well. Just got this news not too long ago. As far as Canadian ratings are concerned, game one broke a record, a record for basketball in Canada with about 7.4 million views at, at its highest peak, with an average of about, of about 3.3 million views. And they say they don't love basketball in Canada. Come on now. But anyways, what do you guys think? Did you guys enjoy game one? Uh, whether you're not really a fan of either team or either way, let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. After the break, we are going to break down the vibe in Toronto with the Raptors being in the finals. We're going to break down all of that. We're going to break down all the stigmas and the stereotypes that came with the Raptors from the beginning up until now. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. All right. So let's break down the vibe of Toronto 
ever since it was made official that we would be competing in the NBA Finals. Honestly, and I made a video about this uh, on Facebook like the day after it happened, but now that all my thoughts are condensed or a bit more condensed and the a lot of time has now passed by and what have you as far as everyone gearing up and what have you, I got to say this, man. The energy in this city right now, as far as basketball is concerned, I've never seen anything like it. As long as I've been living in this country, in this province, within the GTA, I have never seen the atmosphere for basketball this thick in my life. This is a first time for me. Seeing this is giving me goosebumps. Even during the Vince Carter era when Purple Fever was a thing and we were getting into the postseason for the first time, we are getting the national coverage for the first time, he's coming off the dunk contest, his uh, back-and-forth battle with Allen Iverson in the, in, the 20, or sorry, in the 2001 postseason. This, this trumps everything that came before it. I've never seen anything like this. Like to the point where you're seeing news stations go out of their way to talk about the Raptors. You're seeing cities across the GTA wanting to do their own uh, Jurassic Park. Like you have the Celebration Square in Mississauga doing their own version of Jurassic Park. They call it Jurassic Park West. They had 20,000 people in the square. 20,000 for a basketball game. That is madness. I don't know what the record is for the amount of people that they've had at the square, but I wouldn't be surprised to believe that that has to be within the top five because that is a staggering number. You had about 3,000 people in downtown Brampton watching the game at, at their square as well. You had a large amount of people watching it at the, at the Burlington Celebration Square. I'm not sure what theirs is called, like the official name of it, but for their nickname, they called it Burlassic Park. Um, and then you had a watch party happening in Waterloo, in Kitchener, in Halifax, in Montreal, in Vancouver, in Calgary. Listen, for the long, especially during the We the North era, aka the last five years now, the Raptors have been known as Canada's team. Like they, they're strongly enforcing that notion, and it's more than just a notion now. Like it's legitimate. When you have fans all across the country supporting you like that and, and, and gathering up in large groups of people, in large masses of humanity, that's when you know the support is real. Like, this is not, this is not just Toronto's team. This is Canada's team. Please believe it. it it's still mind-boggling to me that so many people have come out to lend their support. And then you have other sports teams within within the city giving their support as well. The Argos gave their support. The Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs, uh, team uh, Team Canada Hockey has given their support as well. It's crazy. And for the longest time, people kept saying that this is a hockey nation. That basketball would never get over. People don't understand basketball. Look at where we're at now. We're at the point where basketball is the leading headline as far as sports is concerned in this country. Because of what the Raptors have been able to do. You know, the Jays aren't doing so good. They're in the middle of a real rebuild. The Leafs had a disappointing season, unfortunately. Uh, MLS basically just got underway. So there's not really too much hype right now um, surrounding that. But the Raptors, I mean, they've been doing good all year as far as the regular season is concerned. They had a gentleman sweep in the first round. They had an epic seven-game series against the Philadelphia 76ers, which was capped off by one of the greatest buzzer beaters that we've ever seen in NBA history. And then they went 4-2 against the Bucs, including beating them four straight times to clinch their berth in the NBA Finals. Man, if you're a basketball fan in this country, you got to be chomping at the bit. Not only if you're a basketball fan, but if you've been a Raptors fan for the longest time. Listen, I remember growing up, when I was seven years old, the Raptors first came to be. They, that's when they played their first inaugural season. Jim Stoudemire, you already know the whole deal, basically. You already know the whole deal. They were just getting started, so no one had any high expectations. 
And then the second year came by, they did a little bit better. They went from 21 and 61 to 30 and 52. It's like, okay, cool. They're making a little bit of pro- progress slowly but surely. But then the 97-98 season comes around, and they totally wet the bed. 16 and 66, by far their worst record ever, and they haven't gone anywhere close to that since. Damon Stoudemire requested trade midway through the season, and he was the first star of ours, I should say, to lead the team. T-Mac was on that team as well. He had just gotten drafted that year out of high school. And then the 98-99 season came about, and we went from the Sky Dome to the Air Canada Center, a lot more intimate, a lot more official for a basketball arena. Vince Carter comes along, and Vince Sanity was basically sparked during that year. And it was a lockout year, mind you. So he was able to do just a little bit, or he was able to do a lot in a little short, short amount of times, which was amazing as far as generating the hype and what have you. And put them in the right direction. 9-9-2000 season comes along. He's by far the most popular player in the league at this point. He kills it in a dunk contest. People are starting to talk about Toronto. We're starting to get national broadcasts on on, on, uh, NBC. And then we make our first playoff berth in franchise history at that point. Gets swept in the first round. T-Mac leads. He wants to be his own man. So be it. Raptors run it back. They do a little bit better this time around. They win their first ever playoff series against the Knicks. Then they had an epic seven-game series around, uh, at, uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers. These don't go our way. And then we're thinking at that, po- at that point, this is just the beginning. We're going to get better and better. But from then on, things didn't get better. And then the support for the team started to wade, uh, wane a little bit, or not even a little bit, a lot, actually. And then it just became a thing where it wasn't cool to be a Raptors fan anymore. It wasn't cool to be a Vince Carter fan anymore. Vince wasn't playing at the at the level that he was playing at before. He was always injured. He was always quote unquote whining and what have you. And then eventually he gets traded, and then the, and then the Bosch era comes in where it's mostly, you know, a, a lot of European players coming into the game and not really knowing how to play the North American style. And even though we had a couple of playoff runs during that era, nothing really came out of it. Then Bosch leaves in free agency in 2010, and then the Raptors try to build the team around Bargnani. No. DeMar DeRozan says, hold on. Toronto, I got us. And then, and then DeRozan, who was never meant to be an all-star, just worked and worked at his game. Tried to improve in whatever facet he could. And then, in 2013, beginning of the 2013-14 season, Masai's making moves. Masai's trading this person. He's trading Rudy Gay. He traded Bargnani. He already traded Bargnani the season before. Like, he is looking to clean house, but then something happens. The Raptors start winning and winning and winning to the point where they're leading the Atlantic Division and they're getting into the playoffs. And at this time is when the We the North movement started. This is when people start to regain their pride and joy in supporting the Toronto Raptors. I was still supporting the Raptors even through the bad times because I'm a homer. That's, that's just me. I have no emotional attachment to any other team outside my city. I'll still be fans of certain teams. Like, I was a fan of the Thunder uh, during those times when, when they were losing, when it was KD, Russ, and, and Harden, because they were just a young group of guys who were just getting it done. And I thought that was amazing. I was still supporting the Bulls because of Derrick Rose and his ascension, but I never had that emotional attachment to those teams. And then during this We the North era, had a few bumps and bruises along the way. But what I can definitively say about this We the North era of the Raptors is that within the last five years, from 2014 to 2019, of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, an argument can be made that they've been the most consistent team thus far. Because if you think about it, Miami and Cleveland were only successful when LeBron James was uh, at the helm of that, of that squad. Washington was supposed to be that next team on the up and up, but they've had in and out years where they would make the playoffs, then they wouldn't make the playoffs, and they would make the playoffs and then not make the playoffs once again. Brooklyn basically gave themselves a short window of opportunity to compete, but then they were in the doghouse for, I would say, about three out of those five years. And then Boston is probably the only other team that I can say that that comes close to consistency when it comes to competing in the Eastern Conference. They're the only team that I can think of that was somewhat consistent in comparison to the Raptors. But the Raptors have always been knocking on that door. The first two years, 2014-2015, bounced out in the first round. Okay, cool. Third year, in 2016, 
made it all the way to the conference finals. Lost 14 to LeBron James and the Cavs. Okay, cool. It's a sign of things to come. Very next year, 2017, make a trade for Ibaka. We won our first playoff series in six games in the first round, but then went to go play against LeBron James, get swept. Disappointing, but okay, we still got some tinkering to do. And then that's when Masai said that it's time for a culture reset. And then we come to 2018 where we're thinking, okay, this has to be the year that we get something done. We're first in the conference, best overall record in franchise history, top five offense, top five defense, everyone's sharing the ball. It's pace and space. We're getting it done. We're figuring out the JV and Ibaka combinations. We're getting it done. Like, this has to be the year. Take care of business against the Wizards in the first round of the playoffs. And then we run into the wall that was LeBron James once again and get swept in embarrassing fashion. And then you're thinking, okay, what's going to happen now? What, what's going to – like, how are you going to keep the fan base engaged? And then, boom, first domino that falls. Dwayne Casey gets fired. Everyone's like, oh, okay, Messiah's serious. And then the second domino that falls, DeMar gets traded. And that shook everyone's core. I don't care if you liked him or, you, or if you hated him. You were shocked when that trade was made. Me, I was so torn because on one end, I'm thinking to myself, I get it. DeMar wasn't performing like he was supposed to in the playoffs, but damn, he was the only star that we've had, with the exception of Lowry, of course, that actually wanted to be here. And that was hard for the Raptors, for Raptors fans to accept. And then we get Kawhi, and we're thinking, okay, we know how good this, this guy can be, but what's his health like? Does he even want to be here? So many unknowns that Raptors fans had to deal with. But then in hindsight, all the way back to back to where we are right now, when you think about it, man, it was the right move that we needed to make. Because without Kawhi, the Raptors wouldn't have been able to have gotten to this point. And there are so many things that were clicking, not just with Kawhi, but Siakam's ascension, ascension Larry's development as more of a playmaker this time around, the trade for Marc Gasol, him being another playmaker, someone with a high IQ, the creativity of Nick Nurse's coaching style, a clear contrast from what Dwayne Casey was doing. Everything had to hit on the right note. And I'm so glad it did because this is where we're at right now and the fans are enjoying it. And that's another thing I want to talk about, the fans. Now, I've heard some people say, well, you know, I don't want the bandwagoners to hop on the bandwagon because they're the same guys who are making fun of me when I was a Raptors fan. Now they're trying to hop on the bandwagon. You know what? I'll be honest. That would have been me a year ago, two years ago. I used to joke around with my friends saying, you know, once we, once we win our championship and we're at the parade, I'm going to, you know, build a gate around the parade and only invite the real fans in it. But now, I say, yo, if you're trying to hop on the bandwagon, welcome. Hop on the bandwagon. Be my guest. Single file, please. Single file. One after another. You know why? Because at the end of the day, whether you've been a day one fan or you've been a fan since the Weeder North era started, or you've been an on-again, off-again fan, fair weather, whatever the case may be, or if you're just there because you're starting for the gram, either way, the Raptors need as much support as possible. So my thing is, put aside your differences, whether you've been here from day one or, or you just got here two minutes ago, and know that you're coming together for a common goal, and that's to support the team. You are supporting the team. If you know in your heart that you're a day one fan, cool. You don't have to brag about it. You don't have to wear it as a badge of honor. You don't have to do it to make yourself feel more superior than someone else who isn't. Just know that this team rallies behind its fan base. It's rabid and passionate fan base. I was talking to some of my American homies when I was watching the game yesterday. And one of my guys was like, yo, that building is loud. You guys have a louder building than Oracle Arena. I'm just like, what can I say? That's my city. That's my country. Like the American audience, they're just finding out about this. And I think that's the most gratifying thing about this entire experience overall because they never knew that Toronto, let alone Canada, had this type of passionate support for basketball. They thought that we were all about hockey. And for a long time, that was the narrative because – Hockey is Canada's country, and I get it, but there's more to this country just, than just hockey. I can say with beyond, that I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that the Raptors have the most diverse fan base out of any other sports team in Canada. In Canada. And arguably, arguably in North America. You can make an argument for that. I personally think you can. But as far as, at least in Canada, it's not even close. They have the most diverse fan base. Like, basketball is not just a black sport. It's played by everyone. It's enjoyed by everyone. When I look into Jurassic Park and I see all the different faces from different cultural backgrounds and religions and what have you, that is the essence of what Toronto is. That is the essence of what Toronto is all about. And what I would love is for that essence to permeate throughout the entire country, not just in Toronto, not even just in Toronto, not even just in Jurassic Park. That has to spread. And I think... When you're talking about the NBA wanting to be an international product and wanting to go global, Toronto is the reason why you have a team in that city because of the, the, the global diversity that you see. It's a cultural mosaic. It's a diaspora of so many different cultures, and that's the beauty of it. And it's funny because America is just getting a little taste of that. They don't even know. They're not even ready for the whole thing. And whether they're ready or not, the Raptors, as a team and as a fan base, they're going to give it to them. And I can't wait. This has to be the greatest era of Raptors basketball that I've ever seen in all my years of supporting the team. I've seen mixtapes that are being made um, for the Raptors online. I'm seeing ads all over the city. Hell, there was an ad that I saw today from New Balance that was actually posted in Oakland that basically said the king of the north is coming, and it's a picture of Kawhi Leonard. Like, the, the, the brashness of the city right now, I love it. I love it. Because this is a city that for the longest time was so insecure about what the American audience and fan base thought about the Raptors. They always wanted validation from the Skip Baylesses of the world, from the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, from the Max Kellermans of the world, from anyone who had a, who had a large platform in America when it came to talking sports and basketball specifically. But you've seen this team for the entire year. You've seen how they performed in the playoffs. You don't have to wait for the American audience to tell you about your team. You watch them more than they do. You already know how your team balls out. That's why they're here. That's why they're in the finals. They're not in the finals by luck. Look at the competition that they had to slay across the way in order to get to the NBA Finals. They had to beat they had to beat an Orlando, an Orlando Magic team that slapped them in the face with a sledgehammer in that first game. They had to beat a Philadelphia team who had by far the most stacked starting lineup in the Eastern Conference and arguably the most stacked starting lineup in the NBA. I'd say second best, but that's neither here nor there. And they had to go seven games in that series. They had to play against a Milwaukee Bucks team that was favored, heavily favored, to be the Eastern Conference champions to go against the, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors, who have the preemptive MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo. And they beat them in six games. And not only did they, did, did they do that, but they figured out the Rubik's Cubes as to how to stop Giannis when no one else was able to do just that. The Raptors did that. The Raptors, by and large, had the most difficult path to the finals out of any team this year. And they stand as one of only two teams left remaining in the NBA, fighting for that Larry O'Brien trophy. Now tell, you, ask yourself this. Do you really need the American validation? I would say no, because they have shown you, and by that I mean the Raptors, they have shown you how great of a team that they are and how an elite of a defensive team that they are as well as, as, well as offensively. So I say this just to close out this segment, man. Just like Messiah said at the beginning of the year, believe in your team, believe in your city, believe in yourselves. Because this team has what it takes to lift that trophy up come middle of June. They already lifted a smaller trophy near the end of May, but they're looking for the bigger one. They're not satisfied, and neither are we as fans. I get it. It's great that they made it to the finals, but we're not here just to be here. We're here to win it all. That is the goal of competing in sports, to win it all, to win a championship. And I believe that this Raptors team has the ability to do just that. But, man, if you are a basketball fan in the city or just a fan of sports or just a fan of good vibes, the positive vibes and energy – then what a time to be alive. This is the time to be alive, to be a Raptors fan. For all the years of, of abuse that you had to endure for decades upon decades, like two and a half decades literally, but nonetheless, then man, the payoff that you're experiencing right now is hard to describe in words. So 
again, big up your city. Don't be afraid to big up your city. Believe in yourselves. Leave the skepticism at the door. Put it on that side. Just enjoy the positive vibes that you're getting. Because right now, all the positive vibes I'm getting, they're so positive and so overwhelmingly positive that I'm not even thinking about the negativity. If you want to be negative about this team, fine. Stand in the corner. Cool. Do you, boo. But... When I see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in different cities within the GTA and within Canada as a whole supporting this team, I can't, I, I can't, I can't even be bothered to devote my time to the vocal minority that wants to rain on people's parades. And I'm focusing on the positivity at this point, man. So if you want to be a non-Raptor supporter, cool. But I'm not listening to you. I'm sorry. You're wasting your breath on me at least. I'm focusing on the positivity that I'm seeing that I've been longing to see for a long time and I'm finally getting it and I hope it continues. Either way, enjoy this team. We're not sure what's going to happen. We hope for what's going to happen, but enjoy this moment because something like this will never, ever be forgotten. Soak it all in. Just soak it all in and believe in this team and believe in this city. We the North. What do you guys think, man? Do you think the Raptors can go all the way? Do you think they can win the title? Either way, let me know what your thoughts are. Hit me up on social media at DM or sorry, at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. After the break, we're going to get into trip talk, talk about some things that have transpired during this NBA Finals run. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. Now let's get into trip talk, all right? So three of the three of the hottest topics, um, usually three of the hottest topics that, that took place within hip-hop or pop culture, but because this episode is so Raptor-centric, it's going to be three of the hottest topics that took place uh, within the NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors. And... Lo and behold, all three of these topics involve Drake. So let's get to the first one, all right? So the first one comes by way earlier this week where the NBA sent a letter or a, a phone call. They contacted the, the, the Raptors uh, in some shape, way, shape, or form and asked them uh, if they could move Drake to higher seating so that he's not so close to court size so that he doesn't really get involved with the players. You know what the Raptors said? They said absolutely not. No! 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 Not going to be able to no! do it, Jack. And this whole thing, this whole quote-unquote controversy that, that started uh, in the conference finals with, with Mike Budenholzer and everything, to me, I think, it's, I think it's asinine that you have players and executives and officials and some media personalities talking about how he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And my thing is this. Drake is a fan. Drake is a fan. He's a super fan. He's a celebrity fan. He's not the first, and he won't be the last. Well, we've had Jack Nicholson, Billy Crystal, Mark Wahlberg, Spike Lee. I mean, hello, Spike freaking Lee, for goodness sakes. And the thing that makes him different from all of those other celebrities is the fact that not only is he a super fan, but he's also a part of the team. He is their global ambassador. And if anything, you want your global ambassador to show off his enthusiasm for the team that he is promoting. Of course you wanted to. I mean, think about all the things that he's done for this team. He helped redesign their logo. He helped redesign their jerseys. He helped design their, their alternate jerseys uh, for the last few years now, especially with the Welcome Toronto jerseys and the home court that they play on for the Welcome Toronto Knights. He has the Drake Knights. He has the Drake Zone. He does so many things to increase the popularity of this team, at least for the casual fan. Because they already know that the, the, the diehard fans, they're going to come to the game regardless. But it's the casual fans that he's bringing in as well. Because everyone knows Drake. He's a pop culture icon, for goodness sakes. He's going to bring them in. The, the practice facility for the Raptors has been renamed recently to, to the OVO Athletic Center. On the practice jerseys, you have the OVO logo on, on the left-hand corner of it. This guy is as every bit a part of the team as Masai Ujiri, as Bobby Webster, as the players themselves, and, and what have you. Like, he is, a, he is a member of the Toronto Raptors, so don't ever get it twisted. And not only that, but you want to talk about people who have been outlandish, people who have been needing more than a phone call from the NBA front office. I mean, are we forgetting about Mark Cuban? Are we really forgetting about Mark Cuban? Like, you have a problem with Drake 
you know, taunting the players as they exit the court. A problem with him massaging the shoulders of the head coach of his own team. You have a problem with him doing certain gestures and what have you that any other fan would do at a game that aren't obscene or disrespectful in any way. What about Mark Cuban? A player who has literally gone on the courts, the hardwood, where the players play to dispute a call or something to that magnitude. He has gone into, into shooting matches or shouting matches with referees. But we're out here complaining about Drake? Come on now. Like, and I'm not saying that the NBA hasn't disciplined Mark Cuban or any way. I'm sure he's got fines up the ass. And he can, and he can spend it with, with toilet paper money if he wanted to. But if people are complaining about Drake, then they must have short-term memory and not remember all the stuff that Mark Cuban used to get himself into. Things that would not fly in today's NBA by any stretch of the imagination. So for the NBA to make a few phone calls, for, for coaches to have a problem with what he's doing, let it go. Let it go. You just hate it because it's not anyone from your team doing that. You don't have the, the privilege of having a multi-platinum pop star to basically be your global ambassador. So please, just cool. Just cool. And if anything, I want Drake to show that enthusiasm. Because for me, when I'm watching the game on the TV, or if I'm actually at a game, the thing that I hate to see is a bunch of corporate bigwigs who are nothing more than a bunch of stiffs sitting courtside and not doing anything. They're just sitting there and be like, honey dum, honey dum. Or their bimbo girlfriends just looking on their text messages or, or doing selfies and what have you, being like, oh, hashtag at the game, hashtag Raptor Life, oh my God, like... No, you actually have somebody who is at the pulse of pop culture in Toronto and worldwide who is doing exactly what a fan should be doing. You're taunting the, the, the other team's players. You're congratulating your, your, your team. You are jumping out of your seat. Listen, courtside seats are no joke. You're paying at least a grand if you're lucky. And if you're paying a grand for one night only, then you better be celebrating to the best of your ability. Because you don't know how much you don't know if you're gonna be able to spend that kind of money again on a rap, on a Raptors ticket for courtside. So by all means, Drake, do you? You are not the first celebrity fan to to be outrageous on the sidelines of the court. You will not be the last. I mean, go watch the 30 for 30 documentary with Spike Lee and and Reggie Miller. Just watch that and then come back to this. But nonetheless, I digress. Do you guys disagree? Or agree with what the NBA was trying to convey to the Toronto Raptors. Either way, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. Uh, next on the list, man. Let us talk about the trolling that Drake was doing since we are talking about his fandom. So before the game, before the game started, his troll game is damn near immaculate. I love it. He knows exactly what he's doing. You know, coming from a rapper who's been in a few battle type situations, I expect no less from from Drizzy Drake. Um, this guy had the audacity, the unmitigated gull, and the gumption to wear a Dell Curry Raptors jersey. A Dell Curry Raptors jersey. Now, for the uninformed, which is okay, uh, Steph Curry's dad, Dell Curry, used to play for the Toronto Raptors during the late 90s to early 2000s and actually retired as a Raptor. During his time here, he also had Steph and his son Seth, his other son Seth, rather, um, living with him as well in Toronto. And Del Curry was actually one of the Raptor favorites among our Raptor fan favorites am amongst the crowd. Uh, he was that guy for the Raptors. He was a sniper, uh, just like Steph is, but Steph is actually the better sniper, but that's nearly here and there. Anyway, we all know that uh, Drake is a fan of, Ste of Steph Curry's, and he's also friends with Steph Curry as well. He even has his jersey number tattooed on his arm, which is why his arm was covered up with, with the armband. Uh, but nonetheless, he decided that the best way to troll and support at the same time was to not only wear a Raptors jersey, but to wear a Steph and, uh, a uh, Del Curry jersey as well. I mean, come on, man. Come on. What are we doing here, guys? Like his troll game is immaculate, and on top of that, he had a little he had a little conversation with Steph some at some point during the game 
where he took out a piece of lint out of Steph's hair and then took a picture of it on IG, I'm assuming after the game was done, and was selling it, was trying to sell, or I don't even know if he was actually trying to sell it, but he was basically making a post saying that he was going to sell that piece of lint on eBay and that his username was Draymond Green should not wear 23. Bruh, like, so rude. So absolutely rude. Absolutely rude, but I love it. And that brings me to the next uh, portion of Trip Talk, which is his confrontation with Draymond Green. So, after the game was done, Raptors won 118-109, and Drake had a few choice words for Draymond Green, who finished the game with a triple-double of 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. They're enjoying back and forth. Some people try to make it out to be a scuffle. A scuffle involves physical contact. No, it's not a scuffle. Verbal scuffle, maybe, sure. But nonetheless, it was just a little war of words, if you will. And basically, we we could see Drake mouthing off, "You're trash, you're trash." Like I would love, I would love, I would have loved for him to say, "Are you dumb? Are you dumb? You are you're a waste. You're a waste." You like I would, I would have loved to have seen him mouth that to him. That would have been great. That would have been the most Toronto thing. Ever Toronto, ever. Um, but nonetheless, called him trash. And Draymond was asked about it at, at the end of the game. And Dre didn't care. He's like, listen, he's Drake. He he He's a global ambassador of the Raptors. That's what he's supposed to do. You're supposed to be trash talking to the other uh, team's best players or what have you. That's what you're supposed to do. So I have no issue with it. That's basically what Draymond said. I'm paraphrasing, mind you. But that's nonetheless what he said. And honestly... The game needs that. It's part of the game. It's part of any sporting event. Like you trash talk the other other player other teams players. That's what you're supposed to do as a fan of your home team. You that's what you that's the essence of sport. As long as you keep it civil. You don't say anything too personal or too cringy or anything like that. Cool. But if you're saying to the other team, "Hey, you guys are trash. You guys suck," etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I see nothing wrong with that. Clay Thompson was saying how Toronto has the nicest hecklers that he's ever come across. They said how they hope for his team to lose, and they hope that he has a bad day as well. I mean, it doesn't get more Canadian than that. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I love the added drama. I just hope that it doesn't fuel the Warriors to go on a rampage because we know how they are. They can catch fire on any given moment. But again, I am confident that the Raptors as a team can do what they can do to to try their best to neutralize the Warriors and hopefully secure an NBA championship for the team and the city and the country as well. But nonetheless, what do you guys think about Drake's antics? Hit me up on Cool Radio CC on all uh, social media platforms and share your thoughts. And now it's time for the Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week goes to... The Tenors, all right? So the Tenors are a trio, formerly a quartet of singers, and I honestly don't know their songs by heart, but they have been singing national anthems as of late. And the reason why I'm giving them the Wanks of the Week is because of the fact that they were chosen to sing the national anthem for the home opener, for the NBA Finals home opener for the Toronto Raptors. Now, I'm sure some people will say, well, hey, can't really give them the wanks for it. You should give it to uh, whoever selected them to sing the national anthem. And normally, I would say yes, I agree with that. But I'm giving it to them because of their track record for national anthems as of recent. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but I believe this is either last year or two years ago that when they were a quartet, they were singing the national anthem for Canada, um, and it was for a baseball game. I can't remember if the Jays were involved. I'm assuming they were because they were singing the national anthem for Canada. Or if it, if it was the MLB All-Star game, either way, I can't remember. But nonetheless, one of the members decided to change one of the lyrics in the national anthem. Not their own song, but the national anthem. Never mind the country, but the national anthem of a country. And decided to slip in All Lives Matter. Now, rightfully so, that person got ousted from the group. But here's my thing. Here's where the wankster really comes into play for me. Whenever I watch the national anthem being sung at a sporting event, it's usually by either a pop star or by an R&B star who has crossed over into pop. I've seen it many times before. Many times. And my thing is this. 
It's done a lot on the American side of things. Why not on the Canadian side of things? Only two times in my life have I seen R&B singers sing the, the national anthem for Canada. One was Tamina, and the other was Melanie, or sorry, Tamia, Tamia, pardon me, Tamia, and the other was Melanie Fiona. And both of those ladies absolutely smashed it. And my thing is this, why not continue that trend? Melanie Fiona is one of the biggest artists, right, or one of the most, I want to say she's one of the most biggest artists, but I, I would most likely say that she's definitely one of the most underrated artists right now. And she's definitely one of the most talented artists, regardless of her of her spot in fame right now. But nonetheless, she's supremely talented. Tamia, another talented artist. If you, I mean, come on, like the list goes on. Melanie Durant. Uh, uh, there's so like there's so many brimming at the top of my head right now that it, it's it's so perplexing. Like Divine Brown. I mean, come on, guys, what are we doing? There are so many to choose from. Daniel Caesar. He's killing it right now. He's from Toronto. The weekend. Guys, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like when the Raptors had Sting perform at the halftime show for the All-Star game, I'm like, really? Sting? Sting? Y'all couldn't get the weekend? Or slide Drake an extra what? Like 500 grand to perform a one-two track? Like, come on, guys. Like, honestly. Honestly. So, I don't know, man. You, you really don't need the tenors to be singing the national anthem. Don't get me wrong. They did a good job. Cool. Hooray for them. Kudos. But I would like to see a little bit more soul performed for the national anthem. Because we've seen what soul can do for a national anthem of any nation. Cough, cough, Marvin Gaye. So, I would just like to see that on the Canadian side of things. So, can we please get the Divine Browns, the Melanie Durants, the Melanie Fionas, the Tamias, the, the Daniel Caesars, Glenn Lewis, whomever, let them sing the anthem and not the tenors. Well, that being said, the tenors, because of their, their, their past crimes or what have you, I'm going to give them the wanks of the week. And I just want to stick in within the theme of the show, which is very Raptor-centric. So maybe my most unfair and controversial wanks of the week, but nonetheless, the wanks that they are getting, and are they getting it? Do they deserve it? Mm, debatable. But either way, they're getting the drop just like this. And that will do it for tonight's show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, next week, there will not be a broadcast of Cool Radio. I repeat, there will not be a broadcast of Cool Radio. We will resume it, however, on June 14th, so make sure you keep it locked for that. But until then, I want to thank you guys for tuning in as you normally do. I really appreciate the support, the support that you guys give to me on a consistent basis. I love the feedback that I get. Please keep it coming. Hit me up on all social media platforms at Cool Radio CC to share any thoughts that you have as well. And go Raptors go. We the North. King of the North is Kawhi. Yes, indeed. And I hope he stays for, for the future. Um, but nonetheless, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.